It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hello and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the feature and says, I'd like to be under the sea. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And our regular host, Jonathan Strickland, is not with us this week. He is at CES covering technology. Technologies. We are also going to talk about some terrific tentacle technologies today. Yes, you heard Lauren right. We're going to be talking about tentacle technology today. Yeah, so we hope that you like biomimetics podcasts real well, because those are basically our favorite things, I think, especially when Jonathan is not in the office to monitor us. Um. Yeah, if you haven't uh, been around for previous podcast episodes when Jonathan wasn't here, we did, I think... Uh, bees uh-huh, and, and some other kind of bugs. Ants. Ants, yeah. yeah. No, I think we did ants with Jonathan. Oh, okay. Spiders, Do, maybe? Might have done spiders without him. We did bugs ones for a long time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and we kind of are running out of bugs to talk about. Which is weird because there's there's trillions of them. There are. There are. Well, we also did some some cockroach stuff a couple episodes ago. But anyway, yeah. So So we decided to move on to something else kind of creepy and that tentacles and or arms would be a really good route. 
<laughs> well, you know, when you picture the robots of the future, they've got to have tentacles, right? They've got to have them because <laughs> tentacles are really the best kind of appendage. They're awesome. Humans would be better if we had them. I think bears would be marginally improved with tentacles. Um, They're pretty much the best. They they wouldn't be improved for my personal use. I would prefer bears to not have tentacles, but I'm sure bears would love to have them. I'm going to go ahead and speak for bears definitively. I'm a supporter of the Second Amendment, the right to bear tentacles. (laughs) Oh, goodness my gracious. I walked into that one so hard. Hold on a second. What was that joke I just made? Well, I'm playing on a little uh, vocab disclaimer we need to make, which is tentacles versus arms. Yes, uh, which I kind of mentioned a second ago. But um, all right. So so octopi or octopuses, whichever you prefer. I think it's octopuses if you don't want to sound like a jerk. Ha. Okay. Uh, That's never stopped us before here on Forward Thinking. (laughs) Um, uh, so, So octopuses have arms. Yeah. Octopuses have eight arms. These are eight non-retractable arms, and that's all they got, just the arms. Mm -hmm. Squid and cuttlefish, on the other hand, they have those eight arms, those eight non-retractable arms going out, but they've also got two longer appendages that are technically tentacles. Tentacles. These are what a scientist would call a tentacle. It's what we can call tentacles as well. I mean, really, anyone can. But yes, the, the official biological definition um, is tentacles, and that's because they're a little bit different. Um, tentacles tend to end in, in what's the term? It's, it's a club? Yeah, it's a sort of leaf-shaped uh, swelling out at the end of the tentacle. And it, yeah, it's called a club. And the tentacles, I think, typically are used more often specifically for catching prey, whereas the arms of a squid or an octopus, they can grab things, they can catch prey, but they can also be used for swimming and walking around and clinging to surfaces and mm-hmm. picking things up. They're they're more all-purpose. Uh, right, right. And also, arms are usually covered entirely in uh, uh, suckers or suction cups. On the undersides, yeah. On the undersides, correct. Whereas tentacles will only have those suction cups on that club end. Yes. Arms also may have a uh, siri or or palps, which are these uh kind of kind of worm like things that come off of them in order to do stuff. Yum. That, yeah, that sounds beautiful. Nature, y'all. And arms have one more feature. They uh they sometimes will have uh, hooks, which are a kind of modified suction cup, which is for hooking, I suppose. Yeah, I think some species have well hooks. They're they're just hooks. That's cool. I I like I like hooks. I like Captain Hook. I like pirates. Uh, both arms and tentacles are what you would call a muscular hydrostat, which is a right. muscle that doesn't need to move a bone. It does its work all on its own. So it'd be a muscle kind of like your tongue or like an elephant's trunk. And so there is a scientific distinction between arms and tentacles in a creature like a squid. But we're going to kind of go with the common usage today where to the average person, those eight things on an octopus, they're all tentacles. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll refer to them as tentacles. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Yeah. We, we respect the biological difference, but tentacles is a lot funnier to say. It is a funnier word. Uh, so let's get into some of these biomimetics because as we've seen on this podcast many times before, a lot of scientists and engineers love to look to nature. To figure to out draw inspiration, yeah, right. How to build their robots or their tiny nano machines or create new materials. It's just there's a lot of research that's already gone into nature that's been done by evolution. Mm-hmm. Let's just steal their work. Yeah, yeah. Just just 
plagiarize all of that and send it into space. What? Yes, tentacle robots in space. Okay, so we're talking about tentacle limbs to go on robots for grasping. Yes. Tell me about it. Well, uh, w- one of the classic robot problems that we talk about a lot on this show is is flexibility. Um, and, and that's, you know, most robot arms are, are really rigid and kind of unforgiving. You don't want to put a baby next to it. Um, it's... <laughs> They're bad at at dealing with different kinds of materials, and especially with unknown materials. It's really tough to to teach a robot how to pick something up when it's never seen that thing before. Yeah, and it might not know how delicate it is. Mm-hmm. And it, there are all these different variables that go into the sort of unconscious calculations your body does when you pick up a foreign object. Uh, sure, sure. It sounds really simple, but if you go to pick up a cup, your your fingers are giving you a lot of feedback about um, how squishable that cup is and how heavy it is and what you need to do, therefore, in order to get a good grip on it and not, you know, spill its contents all over yourself. Okay. So... Uh, tentacles. Better at doing this than rigid arms. Really? Yes. Well, because, you know, they can conform to an object and kind of grip it as tightly as they need to without, hopefully without, you know, hulking and just just spilling everything everywhere. (laughs) Um, I assume that people, I I love the cup metaphor, but, um, or the cup example, but I assume that robots pick up things other than cups pretty frequently. Anyway, um, some researchers and roboticists like uh, Ian Walker of Clemson University, are working on creating creepy, wonderful robotic tentacles. Um, and yes, inspired by stuff like octopus arms and uh, elephant trunks and giraffe tongues and climbing vines and all that good kind of stuff. Um, they they have been building these robotic arms that are capable of twisting around and grasping objects of varying shapes and materials. Like, for example, the Octarm. 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 Spell that for us, Lauren. O-C-T-A-R-M. Octarm. I like the sound of that. It's pretty great. Um, it, it's a pneumatic robot arm, and it came out of a um, DARPA-funded project from 2003 to 2007. And since Jonathan is not here, I'll go ahead and say it. <laughs> DARPA, that's the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Why, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> We shall call it DARPA from now on. And according to Ian Walker via space.com, this thing, this this oct arm can grab and stack cones of varying sizes, explore tunnel-like environments, and manipulate objects it had never encountered before while submerged in water. Um, wow. I'm not sure if I can do all of those things every day, so that's <laughs> so that's pretty rad. I can um, do almost nothing while submerged in water because <laughs> I never figured out how to open my eyes underwater. It's it's rough. It stings, man. Um, goggles are great. It's this new technology we might we we could talk about later. Um, but but so robots like this aren't even expensive to build, but they are tricky to program. Is the oh, only problem? Oh yeah, I can see how that would be. Yeah. Um, but there are other octopus-inspired robot arms. Yeah. Yeah, well, not just octopus, but I guess all kinds of tentacle, cephalopod arm, whatever you call these grasping, squiggly things. Uh-huh. One of them that's a recent one I just read about today was the MIT soft rubber robot arm. So at uh, MIT's CSAIL, that's the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab, under the direction of Daniela Roos, uh, and her name should be familiar to you if you've listened to this podcast for a while, because I keep seeing her associated with weird, awesome stuff that comes up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that lab has churned out some really cool robots. And a recent one, which I read about in an MIT press release from September 2014, is a soft rubber 
robotic arm that can move around by sort of writhing and slithering. Some descriptions compared it to a slithering snake, but the press release actually stipulated that it was inspired by an octopus arm. Uh, It's made of silicone, and that's sort of for the soft touch with 3D printed molds. And if you watch the video that they released of this thing, you can see how it controls its slithering motion, which is through tension and release of the soft silicone parts by inflating and contracting gas sacs. Oh, cool. And it looks really cool. If you had a robot with real arms like this, ideally it would be able to sort of reach down into a crack or a hole or a pipe or, you know, any kind of chasm. (laughs) Anything that you wouldn't want to put your arm down into. My eye socket. I don't know. Whatever it is. (laughs) It can reach down with a sort of grasping manipulator that would be, quote, as soft as chewing gum, which is so sweet. Because, again, as you mentioned, most robots are hard. They're not they're not soft and cuddly and nice. Yeah, no. Again, it's the, the, the baby test. Like, if, like, like, what do you want to put this on your baby? Right. Like, if your baby fell down a pipe, you'd want a soft arm that yes. could go and wrap it up and pull it back and out. pull it back out gently. That would be much preferable, yes. Um, so cute. Preferable? Anyway. I'm sure, um, and there are, <laughs> obviously, these are not the only grasping robot arms inspired by cephalopod arms and tentacles. Yes, and we will talk about a few more of them later on in the podcast, but... First, let's talk more about motion. Yeah, let's let's go a little bit deeper into your dreams slash nightmares. Okay, so we've already got robots that are getting toward being able to grasp things and manipulate them like an octopus or a squid. Mm -hmm. What about the way octopuses? Was that the plural we agreed on? Octopuses. Yeah. What about the way octopuses and squids move? So a topic we often come back to is robot locomotion, because getting from one place to another isn't always as easy as it would seem. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yes, one of those other classic problems. Yeah, especially for machines. So wheels are pretty dependable at this point. You can make a self-driving car that, if it stays on the road, works pretty well. Mm-hmm. But that won't work everywhere. What if your robot needs to climb a tree or a rocky hillside or descend into a crevice or swim in the ocean? Okay, you're going to have to deal with this now. A group of researchers in Europe have been working on creating and studying a species of robot octopus that can swim. Robot octopus. Mm-hmm. Robot octopus that can swim. We're, we're creating swimming robot octopuses now. Now, what I've seen is not a full octopus with like, uh, you know, an octopus soul and octopus eyes. Okay. It was more just kind of a, a tentacle or... This would be arms, technically, yes. but we've said before they're sort of interchangeable we're as fast we're and using loose today, them here. Kids. Yeah, a yeah. uh, sort of arm tentacle <laughs> motion simulator. In May 2013, at the IEEE International Conference on Robotics and Automation in Karlsruhe, Germany, a team of researchers who I think were all from Greece gave a presentation entitled "Octopus-Inspired Eight-Arm Robotic Swimming by Sculling Movements." Sculling. That's another verb I like. I'll explain that in just a minute. Okay. Uh, before I get into that, I found a background explanation where Dr. Dimitri Sarkiris, who is one of the researchers, explains why you might want something like a robotic octopus. Uh, so we want to have robots that can move around freely underwater. And this is important for a lot of different applications. Imagine you need to do industrial maintenance on an underwater structure. 
or you need to do remote research in an underwater cave or search and rescue on a shipwreck, like where the ship has become submerged, but there might be survivors trapped in air pockets inside. I don't know if you've ever read any of those stories, but they're terrifying. I, I do not read them because they are terrifying. Yeah. Uh, or search and rescue and say even something like a flooded urban area. You mm -hmm. know, maybe there's a flood and there are basements and things like that. Anyway, it's important for these kind of robots to be highly mobile, but it's also important for them to be highly dexterous. So they can open doors, pick up objects, move things around, or, you know, even gently hug the torso of a live human. So you could try to accomplish that by pairing together different elements. So you have propellers for motion, and then you have some kind of protruding robotic claw arms or whatever kind of manipulator you want for the limbs. But what if we maximized efficiency by pairing propulsion and manipulation together into one machine feature. Uh, yeah, because that's what octopuses already do. Right. So the soft, flexible arms of an octopus can act as swimming limbs, walking limbs, and grasping limbs. Can we do that with a robot? Well, the conference presentation uh, showed the results of a study of octopus-inspired swimming motion, as I said. Uh, so the relevant type of octopus swimming is what you'd call sculling. It's also sort of what those fancy Ivy League rowboat kids do. It's it's a type of rowing. So it's where you use multiple oars at once and you're pushing through the water to propel yourself forward with oars. Yeah, they all push in synchronization to drive the main body forward. Okay. And the team studied different octopus robot sculling motions with dynamical models. So these were computer simulations. They they did simulations in software uh, th that try to simulate fluid dynamics to predict the performance of different systems dealing with real-world conditions. They also built 3D prototypes and got them swimming around in a water tank. There is video of this on YouTube, and it is beautiful. It's and great. And really weird. You should check it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they tested different gates, what they called gates. You know, I guess a gate for us would be like different ways of walking. Mm -hmm. uh, swimming gates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these would be swimming gates. The variations in gait could be controlled by how much the little robotic arms moved and and in what order. So should they all push in synchronization, sort of like you'd often see with a, an octopus trying to get away real fast? Yeah, yeah. The way that it kind of pulsates, if, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Or should they row in alternating patterns? Uh, there are some of these you'll see in the video where it almost looks random. I don't think it is random, mm -hmm. but they, uh, the, the, the tentacles, the little robotic tentacles just move at different times. Mm -hmm. More kind of the way that, say, a, a spider walks. Mm -hmm. They also tested the difference between rigid arms and then these undulating, flexible arms that look more like a real octopus's limb. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things they discovered is that sculling doesn't necessarily produce the best fluid motion underwater. And some of the artificial gates made the robot move through the fluid environment much more smoothly, which makes you wonder why octopuses don't already do this. Now, there could be some compensating drawback or some anatomical limitation that prevents them from doing it. I don't know, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, that nature had not selected for the more uh, efficient gate. But yeah, but maybe there's something we don't know about this. Maybe actually, maybe octopuses just prefer. Maybe they thought real hard about it, and they right. all agreed that they just weren't going to do that. It's a style thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, is strutting really more efficient? Yeah. No, no. but why wouldn't you strut? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're working on robotic tentacles that can manipulate and grab, and we're working on robotic tentacles 
that can swim. So we're pretty much getting both of the parts together, right? We're, we're on the way to making a whole robot octopus. I don't know if anybody's actually planning on doing that, but the elements so. are so coming much. together. Yeah, yeah. But that, that is not all that is going on with tentacle inspired technology. No, in fact, you don't even have to look at the octopus scale. Mm-hmm. You could shrink it way down. Yes, we could be gripping things on a, on a micro scale, which is, uh, just as terrifying, actually. Um, so, so let's, let's talk about jellyfish tentacles. Okay. Um, they're awful. I mean, they're wonderful from a <laughs> biological standpoint, but they creep me right out. Um, from, from a passive position drifting in the water, jellyfish tentacles can, can automatically ensnare prey. They're, they're like living flypaper. Okay. And they're, they're technically plankton which is a thing that I always forget until I learn it again. Um, they're just really, really big plankton. Wait, hold on. Jellyfish are? Jellyfish are plankton. They're like plankton that got huge? Yeah. Well, they, they are literally plankton that got huge. That is what they are. That's. Their nervous systems basically don't exist. To quote you, that's awful. <laughs> that's so awful. I, I, I typically love all animals. I kind of hate jellyfish. That's not fair, but I'm kidding. I don't actually hate jellyfish. They're they're wonderful, wonderful blobs of genius. They're gorgeous. So their tentacles work like this. Uh, they're they're covered in thousands of specialized cells called cnidoblasts. That's spelled with a C N, by the way, um, which just reminds me of like cinnabites, which is great from you know Hellraiser. Anyway, oh, are um, cinnabites actually pronounced enabites? I don't know. Why would you have silent seas? That's annoying. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Um, so, so these these nidoblasts have these little hair-like trigger follicles, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and when something brushes up against the tentacle and hits one of these triggers on one of these cells, the cell discharges a coil of this kind of fleshy thread that can either wrap around or, or even penetrate a living thing uh, like, like a dart. Um, okay. And those, those living things are, are, are usually their prey. Um, anything from, from algae and, and smaller plankton, um, to, to crustaceans and fish in the case of larger jellyfish. Um, the threads also contain neurotoxins that paralyze that prey and sting the heck out of humans. So jellyfish, yay. Um, okay. Now let's talk cancer. And what? I, this is coming back to tentacles, I promise. Just bear with me. Okay. Um, one of the most dangerous things about cancerous cells is that they don't always stay put, right? They, they can metastasize or break off from their home site and move through your bloodstream to other parts of your body where they can cause additional cancerous growth and damage. Bad times. Um, so, so when a patient is receiving treatment for cancer, doctors might test their blood for cancer cells to determine the best course of therapies, you know, to, to see if the cancer is starting to move around and figure out how best to treat the patient. Um, It's still coming back to tentacles, I promise. Um, One way to find rogue cancer cells in a blood sample is to pour it through a device um, that's been coated on the inside with antibodies that are designed to, um, or or that naturally stick to proteins found on the surface of cancer cells, but not on the surface of normal cells. Okay. So, So the cancer cells will brush by these antibodies and stick to them. That's pretty clever. It is very clever. Um... But the the antibodies don't have a really high success rate because they're so super tiny, just just a couple nanometers long, 
And um, these cells rushing past might be some like 10 to 30 micrometers, like thousands of times bigger, right? So it's like trying to catch a really big beach ball with the tip of a super glue tube. Um, mm. it's, it, it, it'll stick, but it's hard to get it to latch. But hey, remember how I said just a couple seconds ago that jellyfish tentacles are super awesome at passively capturing stuff? Mm -hmm. Inspired by this, a uh, researcher by the name of Jeffrey Karp got a team together that designed tentacle-like chains of DNA that stick to a protein found on cancer cells, um, uh, specific kinds of cancer cells. He was working with leukemia cells, lung cancer cells, and colon cancer cells specifically. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, th this team created a device with a kind of ridged flow surface um, and lined it with these long tentacle-like DNA chains. Um, and they, they report that it can catch up to 80% of target cells that are pushed through the, the, the device. Um, and since different chains of DNA can catch different kinds of protein, the devices are hypothetically customizable for detecting different kinds of cancer cells. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's so cool. It's in, you know, it is only for, for blood testing purposes. Um, there were some reporters who I think kind of mistakenly got the idea that this could like go into your blood vessels and catch cancer cells as they were flowing through your body. And that, that is not what this is for. If that ever happens, that would be pretty rad. But, um, well, but it, I mean, detecting cancer is highly important too. Extremely important, especially early detection before, um, these metastasized cells can start causing damage in other organs. Right. So, yeah. But let's talk about something even kind of squickier which is uh, tentacle suckers. Okay. <laughs> now that we've cured your cancer, we're going to look at cephalopod limbs again. Okay, so cephalopods, squids, octopuses, cuttlefish. Yeah. If you've ever looked at a squid or octopus limb, you've probably seen them covered on the inside with big clusters of protruding concave rings. These are often called suction cups or suckers, and they help with gripping. So when a squid or an octopus wants to grab a delicious meal, uh, let's say it's a krill or, you know, small fish, or crustacean or a mm -hmm. chihuahua, whatever yeah, whatever. Uh, and, All of those aqueous yeah. chihuahua. Yeah. And they want to shove it into the gaping beak of yumminess. They latch onto the prey organism with the suction cups on their arms. Now, uh, these suction cups are not the same on all cephalopods. Right, right. Um, octopuses have uh, very muscular suction cups, which is how they function. Um, they, they have such complex muscular and nervous systems. Um, they've got separate controls for each arm, and and those arm controls can work independently of the brain. No, I think you messed up. You said independently of the brain. Of the brain, yes. A research, huh? if, a, if a researcher cuts off an octopus's arm, which isn't very nice, but that's, you know, for science, um, uh, and, and tickles the arm, it will react the same way that an attached arm would react. Okay. Weird, creepy stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, so... so they have such complex muscular nervous systems that they can individually activate each suction cup on their arms. Wow. Um, and, and, and there each, are a lot of these things. There are a lot of these things. And each one is, is really kind of like a tiny mouth. Um, the, the, the lips of the suckers can grip small stuff and irregular surfaces. And um, 
and and the 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 whole the sucker as a whole can suction to larger, flatter objects, which is pretty creepy, pretty awesome, and uh, lets them hold and manipulate all kinds of things, like like they can open jars and carry shells around, um, and or even steal a diver's camera if they want to. <laughs> Um, so, so inspired by this, a, a team led by robotic manipulation researcher Chad Kessens of the University of Maryland, in collaboration with the U.S. Army, created robotic self-sealing suction cups. Interesting. What the Army wants to do with robotic self-sealing suction cups, I do not know, but they claim it's for <laughs> search and rescue. I'm sure it's for that. That is what they say about everything that <laughs> that I love because it's cool. But then I also wonder deep down, like, wait like, a minute, hey, what's this for? Military. Um, but tell me about it. I'm. I'll. I'll just. I'll take them at their word. Yes. Yes. Um. So. So they they place a bunch of these suction cups on a, a robotic arm or, or tentacle kind of thing that has a vacuum pump inside. And each sucker uh, sits closed by a little plug until the lip of the sucker comes into contact with an object, which causes the plug to release and the cup to attempt to um, uh, form a seal on the object. Okay, Um, And the vacuum pump is going all the time, keeping all the plugs in place in the cups that are closed and providing suction power to all the cups that are open. and this is really clever because it allows the maximum amount of suction power uh, to get to those open cups. And um, uh, traditional suction robots will waste some of that energy and, and create possible leak points by leaving all the suckers open all the time. So this is a great workaround for that. That's pretty awesome. Yes. That is not the only biomimetic suction cup technology that's based on cephalopod arms for the other one i think we should turn to squid let's okay so on squid you don't just have little suction cups they're actually lined with rings of tiny super sharp teeth i even found a couple of pictures online of uh someone whose hands were marked up with lots of tiny little scratches allegedly from working with squid <laughs> and it looked like they'd been playing with a kitten yeah oh so cute it was cute it was like let me hug you with my razor fingers oh uh don't worry this does not mean they will cut giant scoops out of you like with a melon baller uh the person behind these images was a cephalopod scientist named Donna Stoff who in another blog post uh, she describes the function of the sucker teeth as similar to that of velcro so it's not really for, like, slicing out huge chunks, but for gripping. Right, right. Uh, kind of like like when we've talked about um, the the follicles on gecko feet and how they help you, well, not you, but geckos grip to walls and stuff. Sure. Except with more teeth. More teeth. <laughs> anyway, these little suckers, can they inspire technology too? You bet. There was a June 9th, 2014 publication in the journal ACS Nano called Nano Confined B Sheets, or that's beta sheets actually, mm-hmm. mechanically reinforce the supra biomolecular network of robust squid sucker ring teeth. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> There's a good short write up on the American Chemical Society press page. And they basically explained that through previous research, the authors had found out that the sucker ring teeth those little tiny teeth we were just describing, which they abbreviate SRT, were not like the teeth or bone of many other animals, which have to incorporate minerals or external elements. And instead, the suckering teeth are made completely out of proteins alone. Hmm. 
And in this paper, they identified a bunch of the SRT proteins. There were 37 in addition to one they had already discovered from one species of cuttlefish and two species of squid. And they also studied the structure of those proteins and found they presented as these beta sheets, which is a, a type of protein structure. And the researchers suggested that this stuff could be synthesized to create materials that are both strong and malleable, which could be really useful in, say, biomedical scenarios yeah. as, like, scaffolding to grow tissues on, for example, or just simply as an alternative to petroleum-based packaging. It's just strong, malleable stuff. We can wow. use it for all kinds of things. Huh. So... Circular razor teeth to the future. Yes, they are saving our planet. Excellent. So there are plenty more wonderful, tentacly technology things out there for you to go read about. Uh, yes, and maybe we will do a, another episode about this kind of stuff in the future. And uh, that incredible future filled with tiny sucker teeth. Yes. Well, do you want to do you want to give in the closing moments of our podcast your little rant about why people shouldn't be mean to octopuses? Oh, they're smarter than your dog. Like like your dog, not not just your dog, Joe, but most dogs. They're they're just gentle, beautiful creatures. They they're they don't really like hanging out like they just sort of want to hide and then eat stuff. And that's what I like doing. Yeah. So. I really think that you should not eat octopuses and you should be really nice to them all the time. Well said. Thank you. Um, if you have anything to say to us, you can get in touch with us. You can email us at fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+, Plus, where our handle is some iteration of fwthinking. Uh, I have complete faith in your abilities to find us. And uh, you can also, of course, find this podcast and more stuff on our website which is fwthinking.com and we hope to hear from you either way you will hear from us very soon for more on this topic and the future of technology visit forwardthinking.com Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. 
And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.